Good evening and welcome to tonight's Bible study. Last week we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant from Matthew chapter 18, verse 22 to verse 23 to 35. I'm sorry. We learned that God expects and demands of us to walk in forgiveness towards those who have wronged us. You see, God doesn't just expect it from us. Child of God, try and understand that. God also demands it. So one thing to have an expectation is another thing to have a demand. God demands that because we are new creation. Each and every one of us will have the opportunity to be wronged. And the reaction that God is expecting of us is forgiveness. Not keeping a grudge or holding a grudge. Amen. And the Bible says that if you are forgiven much, you love much. Amen. So Christians who struggle in forgiveness, most times, they don't know how much God in Christ has forgiven us. Uh, the parable in question that we learned last week had to do with the servants who owed a large debt to the king and was forgiven. Uh, for those of us who were here last week, we all came to realize that after this fellow servant was forgiven, he came across one of his guys who owed him a paltry amount relatively. Uh, it, the debt was nowhere in size to what he had been forgiven of. But the Bible lets us know that uh, this man was merciless towards the other guy and threw him in jail. How convenient. Amen. And uh, sometimes, uh, look, Christians, we've been forgiven of much. Let's forgive. Don't try and justify why you walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. Sometimes, many Christians, we know the truth of God's forgiveness, but we want to justify our actions. Please, we shouldn't justify our actions. Let's allow the word of God to change and challenge our, our lives, okay? And the word of God will be able to challenge your life by first and foremost confronting your entrenched thoughts. Tonight's parable, we'll see something about that. It's very devastating. It's very dangerous to come to God with an entrenched mindset when you don't allow the Bible to challenge it. It, it leads you further on into deception. Amen. So we should just forgive. Uh, we should learn to ex extend the same grace towards our fellow men. Look, we were on our way to hell. Our story is very much bad. Whatever someone has done to us, it pales in comparison to our destination or our destiny in the beginning. It was bad. But God in Christ forgave us. And we also came to realize that just as this man was thrown in prison because of the wrath of the king and subjected to torturous, when unforgiveness lingers in our hearts, it gives the devil a foothold. The devil is also a torturer in our lives. You see, God ceases to interfere when we walk in disobedience to his command to forgive. 
All right. So uh, we, we, sh we shouldn't flout the commandments of God, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Because the Bible says that blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We, we put ourselves in a position where God ceases to interfere. And God, and, and like we said last week, God doesn't hold grudges. God is not stingy with forgiveness. But God is also just. Amen. And there are some things to prayer is not going to do it until you obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes we, we enter into many complicated situations and we want to fast our way out of it. We want to pray our way out of it. Just obey your way out of it. That's all. And it just requires obedience. No fasting. No prayer. Just obedience. Amen. So if we walk in disobedience, we limit God's intervention in our lives when the torture, the devil is really at bay in our lives because of a lingering sin or unforgiveness for that matter. Amen. Tonight we are looking at our 10th parable in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. So open with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And today we are looking at one of the most popular parables of Jesus' um, narrations. <clears throat> I believe that this, even the term has gone beyond church walls, you know, and, and the, the parable in question is the Good Samaritan. It's even a common phrase that is used. Oh, he was a Good Samaritan towards me. She was a Good Samaritan. It's even become part and parcel of our language. So tonight we are going to learn about this popular parable or story. Amen. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke chapter 10. So I'm reading from verse 25. Now I'm on verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he, he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, strength, with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. When he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. 35. 
On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. May God bless the reading of his word. The background to this story, this very popular story. How many of us have heard of the Good Samaritan? I want to believe that all of us have heard of the Good Samaritan, right? Now, the background to this story was a result of an evil lawyer trying to test Jesus. In fact, the real word here meaning is to tempt. He wanted to tempt Jesus. You understand? Uh, by asking how he will inherit eternal life. Um, please, mind you, this was under the law. Under the law to inherit eternal life, you had to obey the commandments of the law. Okay? Under this dispensation, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to believe in Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. They are not really the same. They are different dispensations. You have to understand that Jesus hadn't yet died. He hadn't yet resurrected. He hadn't yet ascended to the Father. Are you understanding me? All these are pre these events. These are under the old covenants. Under the old covenants, you have to obey the law. Do all the commandments of the law, you will have eternal life. Today, as I speak to you, if we want to receive eternal life, this criteria doesn't apply to us. We are in the new covenant. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him will have eternal life. That is how we have eternal life. Okay, so let's try and be mindful of that. Um, so this lawyer came to Jesus and he asked that question. And anybody who is a serious student of the law or a reader of the law at least knows this. Like if today, if you're a believer, I believe it's common knowledge by now that if you want to receive eternal life, you know what to do. Under the Jewish uh, uh, system or custom, if you wanted to know eternal life, it wasn't a mystery. It was clear as day. It was as plain as light. Amen. But this man asked this question. Because underneath his question was mischief and evil thoughts. You know, one of the things I take inspirations from personally when I read the Bible is how Jesus dealt with questions. Jesus did not really answer many questions. And I've tried to pattern my life after that. I don't answer many questions. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about you in particular. Because I, I know I, I I trust many of you here, Amen. But I mean, I'm talking about sometimes people can ask you certain questions just to keep you locked up, and just to use the word as a bait against you. I quite remember a very interesting scenario. One day, someone asked me a question at work. It was a Bible question, 
I just looked at him and I smiled. I, look, I, up to now, I still don't know what they didn't make me answer. Because generally speaking, I would have taken that opportunity to explain the scriptures to the person. Then I left. Then I slept. This was one of the few times that I've had a dream that talks to me about the past. Because you see that most times when we dream, we dream of the present or something that will happen in the future. But this particular dream was a weird dream. When I dreamt, it talked about yesterday or the past. I dreamt about something very horrible and I prayed about it. And I realized that if I had answered that question, this was the kind of situation I would have found myself in. I understand me. So what I'm trying to say is that you have to be very discerning. If you happened to be a Christian, a matured Christian, someone who has quite a good standing in the faith that people look up to. Amen. So like I'm, I'm, I'm just using that personally. One of the things I gain a lot of inspiration from is how Jesus handled questions. Those those aspects bless me. I remember one time I just read the Bible, like, how did, they, did Jesus answer questions? How did he answer critiques? That's what I was just looking at. So when I read Matthew to John, I'm just looking at anywhere I see critiques when it comes to questions, I just take my time to study it. It's very fascinating. Amen. So like this person did not really come to Jesus because he really wanted to be taught. That's not why he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus to tempt him, with the idea to tempt him. And in life, if you want to fill your exam, don't test the teacher who said the questions to the paper. That's if you want to fail. So this, this Pharisee lawyer, and when we are talking about a lawyer, we are not talking about our understanding of today's lawyer. A lawyer simply meant a teacher of the law. That's a lawyer. Jesus is the author of the scriptures, and you are coming to test him. But Jesus put the first one on him. Jesus asked him two important questions. He just paid him back in his own coin. He said, what is written in the law? He was just about to set him up. Because for a teacher like this, it is very embarrassing to call yourself a teacher, to call yourself a lawyer, and you don't know what is written in the scriptures. That's something that they take real pride in. So Jesus was about to set him up. Like, you think you can pull a fast one on me? Okay, I asked you this question. What is written in the law? Because Jesus knew that he knew the answer to this question. And then number two, that is a question I pay particular attention to. What is your reading of it? Interesting. Y-O-U-R, very important word in that question. What is your reading of it, because Jesus could have rephrased the second question differently. How does he read? What is written in the law, number one? Number two, what is the reading of it? He could have asked that question. What is the reading of it? Another way he could have phrased it, how does he read? 
another way he could have rephrased it, quote it. <laughs> what is written in the law, number two, quote it. But Jesus asks this question, what is your reading of it? So Jesus was only not concerned with what was stated explicitly in the scriptures. He also wanted to know how the Pharisee read the Bible. Deception, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes can be self-perpetuated. What is your reading of it? Now, the lawyer, knowing his scriptures, did well to quote what was written in it. That's the first part. He did very well. He quoted, it is written, You shall love the Lord your God before your heart, soul, mind, or your strength. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Correct. You've shown that you're a teacher. You know your scriptures. You've memorized it. Well done. Jesus looked at him. He said, okay, do this and you will live. You know the scriptures. So now do it. I'm not just interested in you memorizing and quoting it to me, but do it. When you do it, you will live. Now, the question that Jesus asked, the second question, what is your reading of it? It's manifested itself in this particular question that the disciple asks next. He wanting to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? Now, what will make the lawyer ask that? It was because of how he read the scripture. Because who is your neighbor? Is your neighbor not man, fellow man? Fellow man should be your neighbor. End of story. But the, but the lawyer, it was how he read the scripture, how he read into the Bible, made him have a certain preconceived idea to who is his neighbor and who is not his neighbor. So it is not just knowing what is written in the Bible. How do you read it? What is your reading of it? How do you interpret the scriptures? That's all very important. This man was found wanting. Amen. Now, what I find amazing is that this guy was a Bible student. To be a lawyer, you had to be a Bible student. You had to study the Bible. This guy did well at that. This guy also read the Bible. So I believe perhaps he had his daily readings of the Bible. Because for you to be good at the Bible, whereby you come to a place of authority to minister it in an assembly, have to read the Bible. So this guy probably read the Bible. This guy was a teacher of the law. That's why he's called a lawyer. Yet, he was deceived. Why do I say he was deceived? He was deceived because he didn't know who his neighbor was. 
due to entrenched ideas. Are you understanding me? So don't come to the Bible with entrenched ideas, like I said earlier on. It never blesses you. Allow the word to challenge your thoughts, which are like strongholds. Sometimes you will see people who say, I read the Bible. You know, now we have e-Bibles now, so you don't see it a lot. But the days of book Bibles or hard copies, sometimes when you open certain Bibles, you see that it's highlighted and, you know, copious amounts of notes in between the pages of the Bible with sticky notes or posting notes, all that stuff. And if you don't take care, you are tempted to think that, oh, this person is a piece of... Even I've seen certain posters. Um, they say that if your Bible is falling apart, your life will not fall apart, something like that. It's not really true. It's not really true. It's not, re it's not really true. Jesus is not interested in your Bible falling apart because of overusing the Bible, marking it and, you know, read. Because anything that you tend to read a lot, it tends to wear out, right? Jesus is more interested in all those markings. It's in you. My words abide in you. That's what means that you are really a Christian. That's what means that you are a Christian. Not the highlighting of Bibles or if your Bible is falling apart. It means your life will not fall apart. You know, something like that. Some, 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 a, a cliche like that. Amen. So Christ wants his words to abide in us. That's what it, that's what is more important. His words have to abide in us. His words have to abide in us. So you can do like so like I'm saying, you can do all these things. You've highlighted your Bible, written so many notes. It's well used. But still, you have hatred in your heart. I'm sure this Pharisee, if we probably saw his Bible, it was well marked. With so many preaching notes. Yet he had hate in his heart. He couldn't even answer the question of who is his neighbor. He had his own entrenched idea. And what he wanted was for Jesus to confirm his entrenched idea. And that's not why the Bible is there. The Bible is not there to confirm our entrenched ideas. The Bible is there to challenge our thoughts so that we can have the mind of Christ. And if you keep on resisting, you, 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 you will not sense the miraculous power of the word anymore. Amen. Don't, don't, don't resist. Because sometimes we like to just resist. Oh, I want to hold on to the. Meanwhile, the Bible is challenging it. You read the Bible and it's really challenging these thoughts. Allow the Bible to challenge your thoughts. It should shape your thoughts. Amen. It should cast down every imagination, every stronghold. And sometimes we might approach the Bible with certain strongholds, which are not biblical. It's not biblically founded. It's not Christ-centered. We should allow the word of God to challenge and shape those thoughts. Well, this guy was a teacher of the law, someone who stood in an assembly to preach and teach, yet he had hatred in his heart. He hadn't allowed the word to challenge him. Amen. All right. So 
On this ground, Jesus now narrated one of the most popular parables uh, that we know. And this was a true story. Why? Because he used the word a certain. So like I, I, I say, parables can be fiction or non-fictional. Some of the parables that Jesus used, it was just a figment of the imagination, just to draw home a spiritual truth. But parables like these, where he uses the word a certain man, means it's a true life account. It really happened. So he's speaking a true life story, narrating it to bring home a spiritual truth. So he talked about a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. And the thieves really beat him bloody and bruised. They left him half dead, as the narration um, stated. And he was naked too. So it must have been a very horrible sight to see. It was bloody and bruised. He had no clothes on. No, no, that's no viewer discretion, none of that. It's just naked, just lying on the streets. Must be very horrible. Um, not too comfortable or convenient to come by. It looked very nasty. It's beaten. Probably if we see him used, you think he's dead, but he's half dead. But the Bible lets us know there were three reactions by three different people to this half-dead man. Um, the priest, the Levites, and a Samaritan. And the Bible lets us know that the priest saw him pass by on the other side. You know, the priest was a symbol of religion, a symbol of good works, a symbol of consecration. He did nothing about it. The Bible lets us know a Levite too. A Levite, he did more than saw. He actually went to look at him. So that means we didn't just see him. He went to go and look at, oh, wow, he's injured. He, he's, he looks dead. And then he walked by. And then the unlikeliest of all candidates, a Samaritan. See, Jesus was bringing tension to this story. The reason why I say he was bringing tension to this story was because of the hostile environment or, or the hostile relationship that existed between Samaritans and Jews of the day. Jewish people hated Samaritans. I think I did a whole expose on Samaritans when I was teaching the book of John. Amen, if you do remember. And Samaritans, they were the product of Jews and Assyrians. So technically, a Samaritan is a half-caste. Well, I heard that half-caste is a disparaging term, so mixed race. It's a mixed race. So it's a Jew, Assyria. The product of a Jewish and an Assyrian marriage is a Samaritan. And they really worshipped other gods. In fact, part of the reason why the Jewish people went into captivity, you could also blame Samaritans. They formed a league of alliance with Samaritans who taught them a lot of strange occultic practices, which had to do with worshipping other gods and being stealing out. And Samar Samaritans were vile. It's nothing good that you could expect of a Samaritan. So it's an unlikeliness of candidates. Among Jewish folklore, it was said that when a Jewish man says the word Samaritan, 
he had to spit because he believes that his mouth is unclean. They were vile. Samaritans, if you read the book of Ezra, they really prevented the Jewish people from building the temple. The temple that they worshipped, which became a synagogue. They, they were fierce opponents. In fact, the book of Ezra documents that. If you don't remember when I we did the book of John, when we came around the analogy of the, the origin of Samaritans, especially when we're looking at the woman of Samaria, I think I really did a very thorough expose on that. I'm just recapping some of the things I shared. Amen. So that was a Samaritan. So he's the unlikeliest of all candidates. Unlikeliest. Someone that Jewish people don't think much of. And Samaritans too, they knew they were very hated. So they kept themselves to themselves. Excuse me. They don't like the Jews. The Jews don't like them. I don't even know that whether this Samaritan, he even knew that this person who is half dead is a Jewish. I don't even know whether he knew. Maybe he knew. Maybe. I don't know whether he knew. But when someone is half dead, can you even tell their nationality? When someone is beaten, is bloody and bruised to the point of death, do you think the first thing you want to know is what nationality is he? I don't know. Maybe he knew, maybe he didn't. But the Bible lets us know he had compassion. He had compassion. Compassion was the thing that he had. He had compassion. Today I pray that believers may we have compassion. It's very unfortunate that the priest didn't have compassion. The Levi didn't have compassion. Yet they were in the tabernacle. How can you be in the tabernacle and in the presence of the Lord and not have compassion? You are a priest, you minister to the Lord, you burn incense, you burn candles, you change the showbread, <laughs> all, all that stuff, go into the holy of... Yet you don't have compassion. Levites, the same, no compassion. But the unlikeliest of candidates. You know, Samaritans were not given the law. The law was given to Jewish people. Yeah, Samaritan doesn't know the law. Yet he had compassion. I pray that may compassion be found in the ranks of the church. We have to have compassion. We, we shouldn't just play church. Come to church on Sunday, come on Wednesday, come on first, you know, first Saturday of the week, especially like this church. We do all the rituals. Yet what is Christ-like, which will make the world know that we are his disciples. That, that virtue is missing. Compassion. But the unlikeliest of all candidates, probably an idol worshiper. Because by this point, Samaritans have not yet received the gospel. They were idol worshippers. understand me? But the Bible lets us know that he had compassion went to this bloody and bruised man, bandages his wounds, poured oil and wine. You know, when you pour wine on, on a wound, it really bends. Really, really bends. You know, you need that to burn and kill all the gems in the wounds and then oil has to soothe the pain, you know, and all that stuff. So I, I believe so. And he, then he set him on his own animal. 
in my mind's eye, I can tell it was a donkey. You know, a, a donkey doesn't carry two people. A donkey normally carries just one person and then maybe the load. That's it. A, a donkey can carry two people. So probably he set him on his donkey and then he walked. I don't know how far. What was the distance between where the man was found to the inn? But they made a journey. <clears throat> it, it, it speaks of sacrifice. And then he took the man to an inn and then paid the innkeeper. This is someone he doesn't know. He doesn't know him. He did this all because of compassion. Compassion was just speaking. And then he promised the innkeeper that <clears throat> if more expense, he will come back and repay. He gave the innkeeper two denarii. But he said that if the bill is more than two denarii, I promise I will come back and I will repay. So Jesus then asks the lawyer now, which of these three do you think is your neighbor? I love Jesus. Now, Jesus used this question now to reveal the man's prejudice and hatred towards his own fellow because of a different nationality. And that's one of the reasons why a Jew will not get along with another national, you know. The lawyer couldn't even mention the word Samaritan, if you read the scripture. He just said, I suppose the one who showed mercy. That's the only answer. He couldn't even come to himself and use the word Samaritan. And I believe Jesus was like, good. Whether you mention his nationality or not, I am glad you have acknowledged him. Go and do likewise. End of story. So from this, I think we can learn three powerful lessons from this story tonight. This parable really teaches us that Jesus is more interested in the practical application of the word and walking in obedience than impressively memorizing scriptures and quoting it. All right, so we should all come to a place. It's good to memorize the scriptures. The reason why it's good to memorize the scriptures is because when you look at the armor that is enlisted in Ephesians chapter 6, one of the armor is called, and you will take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the word of God there is the spoken word. That is what is an armor. That is what is the sword of the Spirit, not the written word. The written word is not the sword of the Spirit. Sometimes I've seen some movies where you will see some horrible creatures and people are fighting them, they will take the Bible. And, you know, like the Bible should kill. The Bible is not the sword of the Spirit. It is the words that are in you. His words abide in you. And then you speak the word. That's what becomes the sort of spirit. So, of course, there, there is a place where we should memorize scriptures and we should be able to quote it. When Jesus was able to defeat the devil three times, do you think Jesus was carrying the Bible on him? Every scripture he said, he just quoted it. 
That is the sword of the Spirit, the spoken word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the rhema word of God. So for you to be able to come to a place where you can speak the word of God out of memory, you have to memorize it. You have to meditate on the scriptures. But it shouldn't just end there. We should allow the scriptures that we have memorized, we should also allow it to transform our lives. So Christ is more interested in the practical application of the word and us walking in obedience towards it than just impressively memorizing scriptures and quoting it. It's good to know where every scripture is. We mentioned this scripture, you can tell where it is, you know, but... Christ is more interested. Look at look at the lawyer. He is a lawyer because he deals with the law. He's a teacher. For you to become a teacher, you need to be a reader. You need to be a student. And I believe he's all that. He's passed all those tests. You need to be able to memorize scores and volumes of scriptures. This lawyer passed that. Yet still, he, the scriptures that he could memorize and he could quote, he was not living by them. That's why he had hate in his heart. He had so much hate in his heart that he couldn't even mention the nationality Samaritan. So please, the scriptures that we are memorizing, let us allow the scriptures to change us. That's what we can learn from the good Samaritan. Amen. It's cheap to wax eloquent on forgiveness. It's cheap to talk a good message on sanctification, giving. I've seen many people who preach on giving, but they don't give. Honestly. It's one of my biggest shocks to see people who can preach so much on giving, yet they don't give. I've seen it. I've seen it. That one of my biggest shocks. You will see people who can preach so powerful on forgiveness. They don't forgive. They will show you all the scriptures on forgiveness, yet they will not forgive. You will see people who are champions of reconciliation, yet they are not talking to their mother. They haven't picked up the phone to call their mother, yet they are a champion of reconciliation. I mean, that's not what Jesus... Jesus is not interested in ex-waxing eloquent on kingdom concepts. No. Talk is cheap. The rubber really meets the road when we do as well as we talk. We shouldn't be hypocrites. Amen? We shouldn't be like the Pharisees. We can just talk a good game. Look, the Pharisees, they were very oratorial. If we should see... FRC in our day today, we will all be gravitated towards them. They were very charismatic, very charming, knew how to talk. Look, they were very eloquent. Eloquence is part of the game of being a Pharisee. You have to be eloquent. They had verbiage, they had vocabulary. But all that they could do was just talk a good game from the pulpits. And Jesus was so upset with these people because these people just talk, talk, talk. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. 
I don't want to be that kind of preacher. That just knows how to preach and talk a good game, but I'm not living the word. Who am I deceiving? Amen. So please, as Christians, let's learn that Christ is more interested in the practical application of the word and us walking in obedience. Let's learn it. This is what Christ esteems more than just impressively memorizing scriptures and quoting it. And we are not living it. Amen. The second thing that I, I, we can learn from this parable is that Jesus expects us to walk in love because it shows that indeed we have received eternal life. Jesus expects us to walk in love. Please go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. We know that we have passed from death to life. How do we know that? How do we know we've passed from death to life? Okay, let's personalize it. How do I know that? Or how do you know that you have passed from death to life? How do I know I've passed from death to life? Look at it. Because I love the brethren. So remove the we and put I there. I know that I have passed from death to life. How do I know that? Verse 14 answers the, the question. That's the caveat. Because I love the brethren. That's why Christ expects us to walk in love because it shows that we have indeed received eternal life. Now, it doesn't just end there. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So you can read the Bible, but hey, if you don't love, you abide in death. And there are many people who read the Bible who are unfortunately abiding in death because they don't love their brother. Hmm. 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's a strong one. So we thought murderers are just people who have committed the act of killing. But biblically speaking, murderers are people who hate. You may not even know how to shoot a gun. You might not even know how to wield a knife or even know how to stab somebody. You look even look too innocent for that. But the Bible says that when you hate you are just as guilty as the one who has shed blood. If you hate, you are a murderer. And the Bible says that, no, not that no brethren has eternal life abiding in him. And if you are a murderer and if you don't have eternal life abiding in him, how can you inherit the kingdom of heaven? So there are some people who will go to hell because of hate. Because hatred is synonymous with murder. Hatred is tantamount to murder. And when you hate, you are in death. But the Bible says that we know that we have passed from death to life. You see, this man is talking about how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus is showing him. Do this and you will live. 
Likewise, we who have received Christ as our personal Savior under this new covenant, we know that we have received eternal life, not just because we have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, but because we also love the brethren. We've passed from death to life. And when we laugh, it shows that eternal life abides in us. Amen. So Jesus expects us to walk in love because it shows that we have indeed received eternal life. Amen. The third and final lesson I want to give tonight is that it is possible to be a Bible reader yet transgress the commandments due to your reading of scriptures. That scares me. Because deception can be self-perpetuated. I want you to understand that. Sometimes we think that, you know, deception just comes by external factors. External factors like false teachers, external factors like false teachings, false books, things like that. That's so true. But there is also an internal factor to deception. And that is your reading of scripture. I make you be deceived. Do you know that the Ku Klux Klan, the reason why they operate the way they operate is because of quote unquote the Bible? If you read the Avation, just if you like after church, go ahead and type the Avation mission statements and everything. Everything has the Bible to it. They are deceived. Just deceived. Why do we have cults? We have cults because of how people read the scripture. Most cults use the Bible. Most cults believe in Jesus is the way. But cults exist because of how people read into the Bible. Over emphasis on honor, loyalty to the man of God, you know, it starts to create a cult. I'm telling you, we should be very careful with how we read the Bible. Don't come to the Lord, especially when it's time to read the Bible, looking for a scripture to justify your stance or your entrenched thoughts. When you do that, you will live a life of deception. James chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. This is how we should approach God's word. James chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. You see, the word has power to save your soul when you receive it with meekness. And with meekness means I let every entrenched idea, every preconceived idea I have drop. I come to the Lord naked. I don't come to the Lord like, oh, I have this thought. Let me look for a scripture to justify my thoughts. You work in deception and error. And I believe that is how this lawyer read the scripture. I hate a Samaritan. 
Let me read the law to find something that would justify my hatred towards a Samaritan. And you see people who are like that. I hate this sister. Let me find a scripture to justify my hatred towards my sister. Then you go and pick Psalm 140. You see how deceived you are? You see how deceived you are? You are deceived. Totally. Amen. The word is able to save our souls when we receive it with meekness. Drop every entrenched ideas. I want to curse somebody. Let me look for a scripture that justifies cursing. You will find it. You will find it. So may the Lord really help us. Because Jesus showed one of the ways that we can easily be deceived. What is your reading of the scripture? Not how does it read. What I like, why didn't Jesus ask, how does it read? Why didn't Jesus ask, what is the reading? Or why didn't even Jesus say, quote it? End of story. He said, what is your reading? How do you interpret the scripture? How do you read it? And how you read the scriptures can be the difference between night and day. In terms of day as in receiving clarity, illumination, dark, darkness, in terms of being deceived. Oh Lord, help us to read the scriptures aright. May we receive the word with meekness, which is able to save our souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So when we hear the word, shouldn't deceive ourselves. We should do the word. We should do the word. Amen. Please, may we meditate on these truths we have heard tonight that we will conform to the image of the Son of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is all I have to share for tonight. Amen. God bless you. Any questions or contributions are welcome. We're done. Who has any question? Who has any contribution? Floor is open. I hope we learned something tonight from the parable. Good evening, everyone.
even in? Um, so I, I think my contribution uh, is to perhaps highlight some of the things that Pastor Steve said that I think are important uh, to our walk in Christ. Um, the, uh, the question that the lawyer um, put out was um, in order for him to justify himself. And Pastor Stephen talked about what it meant to justify himself. And sometimes when we're hearing a teaching like this, we think to ourselves, I don't do that. Perhaps we might go, I don't do those things. I'm not that bad, you know, but um, it's not about being bad or good necessarily. It's more about just walking with Christ and walking in the spirit of God. As I was looking over the scripture right now, that's the big, thing that is like came to me was to walk in the spirit right because it's not just every sometimes you know we can we help people and sometimes there's people we shouldn't help like pastor steven's example there's some questions you don't answer and then there's questions that you answer and then you go to yourself well how do i know the difference how do i know who i help how do i know who i don't help who's my neighbor who's not my neighbor Where's my, you know, and we, it, it kind of, it starts to sound more like we don't want to do certain things instead of just walking in the spirit and asking God, God, what's your mission for me today? What, what do you want me to do today? And I think that uh, walking this way is not, it, it moves us away from being religious and more of walking in love the way that God would want us to walk. That will be my contribution. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Yeah. So may the Lord make us discerning. Amen. May the Lord make us discerning. You don't answer every question. May the Lord make us discerning. Proverbs chapter 23, when you read it, please go and read Proverbs 23. I think when you read verse 7, it talks to us about as a man thinks, so we see. Why does the Bible say that? Start from verse 1. It says that when you sit down with a ruler and you are given to appetites, put a, put a knife to your throat. <laughs> then it, it goes on to talk. Because it's talking about an evil person. Then verse 6, I believe. It says that it's not the bread of one who has an evil eye. Other versions use the word, it's not the bread of one who is a miser, nor desire his delicacies. And then verse 7, we'll say that for us, a man thinks so, he sees so. May the Lord make us more discerning. Amen. But may we also have love, because the Bible says in John chapter 15, by love, people will know we are his disciples. Amen. So let's learn how to draw the balance between being loving, having compassion, yet being circumspect, in offense, because circum being circumspect is a mark of a spirit-filled living. Amen. We are out of time. Father, we thank you for tonight. We've heard your word. We pray that your word will minister to us. Lord, deliver us from deception that is self-perpetuated. May we read your scriptures from today, receiving your word with meekness. Because we've learned that the word has power to save our souls. 
May we be doers of your word, O Lord, and not hearers only. May we have love because we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Thank you for your word that has ministered to our hearts. Enlarge our capacity to forgive. Enlarge our hearts that we will obey what we have heard tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Um, one more installment, then we are done. We'll wrap up um, part two of our, our volume two of our series on understanding the kingdom from parables on 18th October. Amen. And then October 25th, we'll have a QA. So if you have any questions concerning parables or anything that you've read, teaching, whatever, it will be a good opportunity to ask. Amen. And please do remember that Saturday on the 7th, we meet to pray from 7 to 8 in the morning. Good night to your blessings. Good night.